Good evening, you're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Kuma, and joining me to unpack your stock-related questions tonight are Roy Mutooni from Sunlam Investments and Grant Nader from Benguela Global Fund Managers. Be sure to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thank you so much for your time, uh, gentlemen. Quite a lot of interesting share price movements that we saw on the JSC today. It, it, it felt like it, it, was, it was either you're dumping a stock or you're really going in and there was no middle, middle ground. Um, yeah, just a grunt. <laughs> <laughs> what has been your sentiment of uh, the JSE today? Um, but just looking at the overall uh, boss um, sinking into the red while there was quite a mixed picture globally. Mm, I think that's actually a great summary of the whole week. Yeah. We had a, remember, we had a strong week last week, and then we came in on Monday, and we got absolutely hit on the head. And we had a decent bounce yesterday, today down again. It's It's been a very choppy time. I think there's a lot of positioning going on at the moment. People are starting to take firm views or trying to take firm views on what they think is going to happen with interest rates, specifically being led by the U.S., and perhaps it's a little bit early, but, you know, markets try to be forward-looking and uh, punters and investors sometimes get ahead of themselves. And I think we're seeing a lot of that. Guys running into, as you said, you know, running into something as if they haven't only there to buy it uh, or selling something as if there won't be a chance tomorrow. Um, <laughs> yeah. And really, we're going into a big uncertainty tonight with the Fed speak. So good luck if, you, if you're taking big positions in this sort of fairly uncertain environment. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, you're actually quite right. Um, you know, the point that you bring up that it, it feels like investors are trying to get into stocks now because like there's not going to be a chance because you were having companies like Sapi coming out with pretty downbeat numbers and saying that, you know, the outlook also doesn't look that great, but people still going in. Roy, um, yeah, what did you make of kind of the big moves that we saw in terms of the stock prices today? And maybe you can start us off with, with Sapi as well. So, so here's the thing. I think it's a very schizophrenic market. You, you have one side where people figure that, okay, we've peaked on interest rates. The dollar's weakened a little bit. It's off to the races. We're risk on. Let's let, let let's go into emerging markets. Uh, let's let's try let's try stuff. And I guess that's probably where you saw even the rand strengthening, and some of these foreign loved shares rallying. On the other side, there's a bunch of people who also figure that, ha, huh, if interest rates have have peaked, but inflation is still high, the only thing that will make interest rates actually come down is an imminent recession. And then you look around the world, Europe is probably in a recessionary environment now, so is the UK. China's not moving at the pace that yeah. we're used to. They're trying to stimulate, but it's not really happening. The only angle you have left is the US. And the US clearly has indicated that it's probably peaked and you can see things coming off. So people like those figure maybe hide in bonds or hide in dollars. Mm. So each day you see one side or other winning and, and, and that's where you see the dollar weakening, then it suddenly strengthens and then pulls 
pulls the pulls the stocks along with it. So I think it's exactly that. And and Grant had it exactly spot on. So taking big positions right now, um, conviction in my mind brings volatility. You have yeah. to, you always have to guard against that. Yeah. And uh, is some investors hiding in SAPI, uh, even though it looks like there shouldn't be any way to hide. So Grant, what did you make of those numbers versus the market reaction? So remember, markets are often about things getting better or things getting worse. Yeah. There was a lot of expectation, negative expectation priced in SAPI. Uh, they're a good 25 to 30% off their highs from February. So I think that explains a lot of the, the, the rally. And it was a target of numbers, but then there are also some positives. Um, SAPI is a business that's been struggling for a long time. There's always some new challenge that they're facing. But what I did see that I thought was quite positive Management's used what was a, a reasonably strong sort of earlier part of the year to pay down some debt. Mm -hmm. They've managed the CapEx plans quite well. They're a bit more conservative. Uh, so they're actually making sure the business has got sustainability and they're positioning, they're pivoting into the more profitable areas and away from. So there's something there if you want to be a bull. It's not a stock I'm particularly bullish on, but I can see why there was a little bit of a relief rally, maybe some short covering. I don't think it's a new paradigm and um, the stock's going to be off to the races from here. Ah. But, uh, you know, they did okay within a tough environment. And that's all you can ask of management. They can't control what's happening. But as long as they, you know, outside of them, but you want to see them doing the right things in the business. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, because you, you do get some investors that are, are not quite convinced about SAPI because of... Uh, past uh, mistakes and and headwinds and and, and all of that. Um, mm. But I mean, as Grant says, there's always something new. Um, do you think that uh, Roy, this has built uh, res re resilience within the business at this point? That investors, some investors, are kind of shrugging off the macroeconomic environment that they can't control and maybe concentrating on the fact that you know what, ma management can actually navigate this environment. Okay. Look, this, this, this is a commodity stock, and I think the thesis underpinning it is, as an industry, they need to take out capacity so that, um, so, so that utilization, utilizations are, are high in, in, in a, in a, and especially now when we're at the bottom of the cycle, we're around the bottom of the cycle. And I think investors respond quite well, like Grant said, mm -hmm. when they reduced their debt when they're saying they're closing down some capacity or optimizing in some way. So it isn't a positive story in the way you and I are used to, where you see pricing, tends volume, in increasing margins, actually in a negative sense, mm -hmm. that take out, take out capacity, reduce your costs, reduce your activity, um, manage your debt, and you look suddenly better. Because inherently, the share is incredibly cheap. Um, on uh, yeah, it's incredibly cheap, but the debt and all of these things weigh against it. So, like Grant says, it could be short covering. It could be people who were taking bets and they realized, actually, I might not be right. Let me take off a bit of exposure. Um, yeah, this one is always a difficult one. You have to think. You have to think in very inverse ways. If I, if I might call it. That. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> mm, well, let's get into a stock um, that is uh, very uh, heavily uh, influenced by macro, uh, the macroeconomic environment, but uh, a lot of the time in a positive way, and that is Sasol. Um, there's a question here. Panel's view on. Uh, on Sasol, and of course, they have their own kind of 
operational uh, headwinds, but it seems that um, in their last update, they were kind of getting to grips with, uh, with making things better on that front. Uh, Grant, uh, Cecil, at this point? Um, I, I, look, it's optically cheap. Um, but it's also somewhat of a cyclical. Uh, I'm reluctant to to be to be sucked in by the cheapness. It, it's going to be driven by the outlook for oil. The RAND, um, the RAND is actually strengthening. Oil is coming off. If we see this global slowdown, that to be honest, I think we are going to see, and we're already seeing some of it. That's not good for oil, uh, and so that's going to drive on their revenue stream. The chemical side, the prices have been depressed. Maybe they're in a cyclical low, but there's. As soon as those things start working in Sassel's favor, then they've got their own internal issues around production and coal. They've got so many uh, operational issues that they're struggling with. Even when the macro things are going their way, they do well not because of themselves, but despite of themselves. So it's a company I struggle with um, in terms of getting excited about it. You're literally almost taking a macro call and if you want to buy this company. And for me, uh, it's not attractive. I think they're far better companies out there. Mm. So, no. Oh. <laughs> Roy, on your side, Sassel? Yeah, so it, it's optically cheap. And typically, you'd expect a correlation with the oil price. But when the oil price was going up, it didn't move with it. Yeah. Now, oil price is coming down. And I think we all know that why the oil price has maintained these high levels was largely geopolitical. The geopolitical premium seems to have come off. Remember, the big producers have taken out a million barrels per day out of circulation to support prices. So that tells you underlying demand globally is weak. Chinese demand hasn't quite come back. The US hasn't started refilling their strategic reserves. So it, it can't be that you're looking for a rally in the oil price so you want to be in this stock. Like Grant says, the, the chemical side, always difficult, very complicated, bottom of the cycle. Um, the optical cheapness means um, you feel that you have a bit of a margin of safety, so so you want to be there in case oil prices rise. But yeah, it's very unexciting from, from, from that perspective. Too many moving parts, a lot of them negative. And I think from a South African perspective, um, foreigners aren't going to come and buy this stock. They've got other opportunities elsewhere. If they're looking for an oil major mm. or a refiner or any of these things, there's ESG risk. There's everything you can talk about. <laughs> so you really have to... It's, it's very difficult to make an, a singularly positive case for this stock mm. outside of having extremely high oil prices. Ah, uh, all right. Well, talking about a positive case, I think, I think, Roy, you have made a positive case for Barlow World. There's a question here. Grant, um, Barlow World, um, would you be going into the stock at this point? Um, look... I think a couple of things. It's, it's probably cheap enough that, again, we, Roy talked about a margin of safety before on Cecil. I think Barlow has, has that. Okay. It is also cyclical. It's exposed to the mining uh, cycle um, and the equipment cycle around that. I'm not comfortable with the Russian exposure. They're still operating there. They're still generating quite a bit of revenue there. Mm. I, don't, I don't like that uncertainty. Um, I think some of their businesses are remarkably resilient, actually, given the, the challenges in the SA mining that we've had. You, you're probably okay, and you know I'm I'm actually positive on SA industrial outlook on a 12-month view. Um, so you know I don't think it's it's a I don't think it's a bad one, but I, I think the company itself, you, there's not a lot that's in their control. Again, it's more of a cyclical play. It's not a they don't have a strong uh, internal self-help story there.
hmm. to make it compelling for me. But it's it's not a uh, the risk reward probably does suggest you can have a uh, an investment here. Hmm. Yeah, Roy, if I do remember correctly, I feel like you have chosen Bottle World as your stock pick. Um, and the share price is still, as uh, Grant says, uh, quite cheap. Is there still a significant uh, kind of Russian discount there? Oh, yeah, w- without a doubt. I mean, what th- th- there are cat dealer who can't sell cat <laughs> in, in Russia. They're transforming <laughs> that business. They're really trying to do other stuff. Um, the margins are still quite high, so you've, you've got a lot of earnings to come off from there. The Mongolia business is doing very well off the China reopening story and also activity in Mongolia. But you've seen everything associated with China finding a peak. So how long does that last? And the margins there are quite extended. The Southern African business doing incredibly well. Um, they're, they're, they're selling into the replacement cycle, which means for a long time they're going to be able to maintain these, these machines and things will look good there. Um, but then there's Ingrain, which is a bit more of a commodity business that requires quite a lot of investment in their capacity because they have to repair and all of that. Load shedding isn't affecting them so much, but they're having problems with clients here, um, capacity utilization, their internal operating problems. So from a multiple perspective, it is cheap. Mm. Um, from a short-term outlook, you probably can see some growth. But if you talk about going beyond that, you have to have an answer for what happens in in Russia with that business, and also what happens with Ingrain? Are they able to are, are they able to get out of this um, malaise and start growing? Ingrain is largely is only South African and regional, so I guess that's the answer you have. The, the question it's uh, the question is the answer. Uh, really hectic uh, share price movements that we had today, uh, even with PPC. Uh, Roy, I want to start off with you because they came out with a trading uh, update. Um, not too much color, uh, saying that they expect to basically swing from a loss to a profit um, and that there's some maneuvering that they've done in terms of um, reporting um, on PPC Zimbabwe. And you actually saw uh, in- investors going into that stock. Um, do you think that they have turned a corner at this point, Roy? Well, I, I didn't look at the results in detail, mm-hmm. but my perception of, of PPC is in South Africa, you've got the problem of imported cement and an inability to increase prices and low demand. Um, the Zim business has been doing quite well for them, and so has the Rwandese business. Um, when you put it all together, this is it's 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 a struggle it's it's a real struggle if you had demand in sa if you had the ability to price here if you had high utilization levels then this would be quite something to do but i think um like grant said earlier on the, there's other easier stories to look at whether even in construction mm. um I, I'm, I'm not sure i'll actually look at what the details said but very unexciting and and just very difficult to rationalize. Yeah, it wasn't too much detail. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Grant, uh, PPC at this point, um, do you think that it's kind of at a stalemate uh, or is there actual, um, you know, significant, mm. uh, a significant booster that, that is said to come at least in, in, in the medium term? Look, it's not one I follow closely, but I think they've done a reasonable job of shoring up the balance sheet. They had they were over being sort of overwhelmed by some of the debt. The issues around the pricing in SA, I think, real, and the competition is going to increase. Afrimat made a large 
cement acquisition and that's a good operation that company can operate and so i suspect things are going to get harder not easier there but having said that we've seen a few anecdotal comments about increased infrastructure spend from government and that's obviously been talked about for years but heading into elections maybe there'll be something there so really they need something like that otherwise it's a very uncompelling story and i would i would stay well away from it uh, unless we start to see some some sort of momentum in in that from from government spend let's say or in the construction space yeah well i mean a story that has been uncompelling for a lot of people for a while is multi-choice um and they came out with their interim mm. trading statement today as well I uh, see that there was a question on multi-choice uh, yesterday as well. Um, uh, 30% lower than it was five years ago. Is it a buy for this low price as Africa doesn't have reliable fiber or is it a sinking ship with everyone moving to streaming, Roy? Well, the, the thing is, it's true. Share price has come down. The, the thesis behind them was always use your SA cash flows into Africa and over time the Africa losses would be diminished and then you'd have a fantastic business that you could use when you're going offshore and, and, and bidding for rights. You see, you've got all these eyeballs and everything. But the truth is, that story hasn't quite worked out. Nigeria, the problems around currency, um, the fact that um, people people um, pay their subscriptions when they want to watch. It's not like here mm-hmm. where it's, it's a debit order and you continue regardless there are people in in africa if it's if it's the football world cup you'll have a hundred percent subscriptions as soon as that ends or as soon as school holidays end people disconnect um and 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 that's and that's a story there there was always the underpin of the canal plus shareholding and maybe a possibility of them being bought out and stuff but i don't know Again, it's 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 a difficult, difficult story. You're you're dependent on so many exogenous variables. Management's really done hard, worked hard to to clean up the forex issues and all that. But I mean, yes, there's a price for everything. It sold off dramatically. I just don't know whether this is the right price. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It seems mm. there are a lot of overhangs. Mm. But somebody earlier on did say that it is a good dividend player. So. Um, Grant, is there still a case for multi-choice at this point? Uh, look, I, I struggle. I think Roy summed it up beautifully, man. And I think the, the challenges they've got numerous is the growing cost of content. And if you just look at what's happening with over-the-top um, cable in the U.S., it's a structural, you know, a slow structural decline in the yeah. industry. That's not going to go backwards. People are changing the way they consume content, uh, and and that's embedded, and it's not going to change. I think the challenge of buying a stock like this for a dividend is the dividends are going to grow. You know, this is a classic value trap from where I sit. If you want to earn a higher yield return, just put money in the bank. Unless you think there's some growth coming, what what are you you're taking unnecessary risk? Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't, no, I don't find it attractive at all. Uh, all right. Uh, there's a question here. Um, I'm considering going into one of the diversified miners. Which one does uh, Roy and Grant uh, prefer in that space? Roy, over to you. So, so the diversified miners, that would be Anglos, BHP, Glencoe, and probably Ari as well. Um, the thing about them is it's about the blend of, um, of commodities that you have. So Glencoe is slightly different. It's got a big trading arm, and that's, and that's done it quite well. It's actually held up quite well. Anglos has really sold off. Um, I mean, it, it, there was a time in the last year where it was like 700. It's close to around 400 now. 
it's got the platinum problem and it's got the iron ore problem. Um, well, not so much of a problem. Now it's also got the diamond problem as well, mm. but it's cheap. Then you go to BHP iron ore. The, the iron ore price has been holding up recently and that's supported it. So it's all about the stomach you have for a combination of commodities there mm-hmm. and combine that with valuation. So if, if you think Anglos is very cheap and you think platinum is at the bottom of its cycle and could start recovering or luxury demand for diamonds will start picking up, then that's where you go. That's where your margin of safety is. If you think there's upside in iron ore, you're better off thinking about BHP, for instance. So it's horses for courses, to be absolutely honest. You're, you're just talking about that platinum. That, that platinum price just keeps on just sinking. Right. Um, Grant, mm. on your side, mm. uh, diversified miners. Um, yeah, what would you be? What would you have a healthy appetite for in terms of that uh, commodity blend? Who would you be going for? So I think the obvious sleep at night option is BHP Billiton, just okay. very stable, solid, highest quality, highest cash flows. You can just buy that and close your eyes if you have to pick one. But yeah. if you want to take a little bit more of a speculative view, Anglos does give you, so you've got some, you know, they've got some stability in copper and iron ore, and then you add uh, the kicker potentially if PGMs turn around or diamonds turn around. But of course, that also gives you a little more volatility, uncertainty. Glencore is one we tend to avoid because of some of the ESG issues, we, we you know, uh, but that's a per- personal preference. The, the green metal opportunity there is actually quite attractive if you can look past uh, some of the other things. Um, so our Anglos is starting to look interesting, but PGMs probably stop falling when the cycle turns or when supply comes off the market. And I don't see either of those happening in the near term. So if you're going to buy Anglos, probably buy it in phases over a period of time. Don't buy all at once. Or maybe buy a little bit of Anglos and mostly Billiton if you want to sleep at night and not worry about where we are in the cycle. Ah, All right. Uh, talking about buying all at once, there's a question here from a viewer. Um, please help me read the share price of Richmond. Is it really around 2000s? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it is considered quite cheap now or cheaper than uh, it, it usually is. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I still remember the days when you could only buy a minimum of 100 shares. So a 2,000 rand share at 100 shares, yeah. it was a lot of money and you couldn't afford it. Nowadays, you can buy a fraction of a share. So yeah. it doesn't matter as much. <laughs> so you really need to think about if you really want to buy a share or if you want to save up for a Cartier bracelet. <laughs> uh, let's go to your stock picks for today, James Roy, what will it be? <laughs> So, so I, I, I look through all of this and exactly like, like we've been talking about margin of safety and quiet stocks, I like Supergroup. So, so it's an SA industrial stock. I think it's cheap. Um, it looks like a small cap, but it, this is a stock that has a presence in South Africa, very big in logistics here, dealerships as well. Um, in Australia, in dealerships there. Um, in, oh, sorry, in, in Australia, they're in, they're in fleet leasing and, and, and that sort of business, and in the UK as well. Very well run, um, grows earnings quite consistently, started paying a dividend, um, very solid management that's been there for some time. And if you look at the share price, even through all of this turmoil, that's one that has matched its earnings growth. And I think, like Grant says, sleep well at night stock. Mm, all right. Uh, well, what's making you sleep at night uh, today, Grant? <laughs> okay. 
Uh, you know what's funny? My original stock pick was actually Supergroup, ah. and um, I actually changed it late <laughs> afternoon to, to. I've actually decided to go for Standard Bank, and 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 one of the core reasons is it's also sleep at night. The banks are incredibly resilient, and they have been through this incredibly tough environment. Standard Bank's they've grown their ROE nicely over the last ten years. They they're managing costs well. Uh, their provisions are well managed. They're lending conservatively, and I think my view is that in the next year. We might start to see load shedding ease. We might start to see uh, the consumer pressure ease, the rate cycle ease. And yes, they'll lose a bit on their net interest margin, but they'll start recovering that through the provisions, through the bad the bad debts. They won't, you know, they'll be able to unwind some of those provisions. Economic activity will increase, and of course, there's always this renewable tailwind. These banks have got massive um, opportunities in renewables for retail and for specifically the investment banks. And the renewable project finance, and they've got pipelines that are huge. And I think banks give you a nice, cheap entry point. You get paid seven percent dividend yield while you wait. Um, the, the price is not demanding. Uh, so that's my pick. It's, it's Standard Bank. Ah, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your analysis today, gents. Really, really appreciate it. That is all for Stockwatch this evening. Thanks to our guest Roy Mutoni from Sunlum Investments and Grant Nader from Benguela Global Fund Managers. Coming up next, the close. Stay with us.